0: Fellows, as part of Theology Unplugged, is, it's just four guys that love Jesus, that have devoted their lives to just God's Word and studying theology and culture and, and looking at our Savior. And today we must talk about issues of, of race and racism. And just so much has happened uh, in America. So much has happened, unfortunately, recently uh, with our dear brothers and sisters in Christ in uh, Charleston, uh and just all that's happened there. And how how do we Sam, how do you even approach thinking about uh three of us went to Dallas Seminary where it was not permissible for uh, any African American man or woman to be to be enrolled there for decades after the school started. Um, looking at yes, I mean, there's been so much. That's how it happened. was about every school, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I'm talking about the one that we've definitely been a part yeah. of, but um, and thankfully have have totally recognized that that's something that we have repented of and is not right. And thankfully, men like Tony Evans uh, are graduates, PhD graduates of that school now. Um, but when we look at just everything that's happening, I mean, and it feels potentially hopeless, it feels like maybe there's never going to be a way forward. Uh, and just wrestling with what it means to with racism and, and race, as we talked about, that there's someone who is born a Caucasian that identifies as an African American, just all of these issues. Uh, where, where do you go
1: with this? Boy, that is a. <laughs> I'm not really exactly sure how to go or how to move
2: forward. Don't go I, anywhere. I, just yeah, open the door. I, I, I will say this. I will say
1: this. Given the um, the tensions and the uh, volatility of this issue in American culture, short of a genuine God sent revival, I don't think it is going to get better. I think the I think the dividing lines are going to intensify. I hate to say that, but I I really think that those who are so entrenched in their distrust and their animosity and their sense of racial superiority are just going to be solidified and become more rigid and more dogmatic and often, and sadly, perhaps even more violent. Mm. And uh, until such time as the Spirit of God awakens the church, let's just start with the church because r- racism yeah. is prevalent in the church. Until the Spirit of God awakens in us the recognition that all human beings are created in the image of God uh, and have within them, by virtue of that, an inherent dignity and value that skin pigmentation does not affect. Uh, we're not going to see much progress. It's, it's I, I hate to be a pessimist in this, but... Um, I mean I see wonderful examples um, even in, in what we're doing at Bridgeway and the outreach we have in our neighborhood and the interaction and the increasing numbers of African Americans who attend our fellowship which we want to see more and more and more and we're we're seeing them uh, come in in much greater numbers now. Uh, so I'm encouraged by that but I don't know help me guys because I look across the broad expanse of our society and I'm not encouraged. I'm not hopeful.
2: Um, well, what I'm trying to figure out is this, is this something that has always been in the history of mankind that you always see some sort of racism? uh whether it be here in America or today or somewhere else in the world today or just any other time of history is is racism just a common theme that you find that the church is always battling against or that just culture is always battling against? I think one why I went to Romania so often and went to the church there and the church that was uh you know following the Lord and trying to overcome all the cultural norms that they had uh, concerning um, the coming out of communism and the difficulties they had there. But whenever it came to certain issues like gypsies, oh, that's that's right. You know, it's we, we, we don't talk to gypsies, and you shouldn't talk to gypsies either. And it was just this idea that gypsies were this type of, of people this race of people that were beyond the bounds of of cultural acceptance, and so I just see this as something myself uh, that is prevalent. Is this something that has always been? Well, and then another example would be Rwanda.
0: I think Rwanda is probably one of the better examples because it's it's two people, two peoples with the same skin pigmentation that in a course of just a couple weeks just slaughtered each other. But their racial difference in quotation marks was a man-made construct. It was just Dutch missionaries dividing people based on the way that their noses were and stuff like that, you know? And so it was this fake construct that led to hate, that led to murder. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in the New Testament we see with the Samaritans, yeah. uh, we, we see that as a very good example of how the the Jewish people hated the Samaritans and Jesus. And vice versa. <laughs> yeah, and Jesus leaned into it and used sure. that as his
1: example. Yeah, there there was no such thing in the Jewish mind as a good Samaritan, contrary yeah. to the, the, the way we've labeled the parable as a contradiction in terms and it was all it was based basically on three realities one of which I think was predominant. One they worshiped on in a different temple on Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. second they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament of Scripture but third, the most important uh, the Jews said you're of impure descent. You intermarried with Gentiles and so the blood in your veins is not pure blood. You're not pure Jewish. You're half breeds. And so they regarded them with contempt and wouldn't even travel into their country lest they lest uh, the, the dust from the and soil cling to their sandals. Worse oh, than yeah. Gentiles. Oh absolutely worse and, than Gentiles. And, but they
2: also had the Gentiles they didn't like as well. Well sure. Yeah. So that was another race. Well, and and I would say they had reason to hate each other, you know, and
0: just as I would say, I think that's probably a tension that I hear more than anything today is people give reasons why we should be segregated or reasons, you know, and I think that's what's maybe unusual in 2015 is like, I think most people know we shouldn't have racism. You know, I think maybe in other times it was a little bit more ignorance potentially. But I think people a lot like know now like, hey, I shouldn't just hate this person, but they'll go through crime statistics or they'll go through like, hey, this is why I'm afraid at night when I bump into this person is because I have reason to be afraid of them. And I think you could say, well, a first century Jew could have said the same thing, like I have a reason to hate Samaritans. To bring it back to
3: it, we're you know, we're in America, we're in the United States of America having this conversation, and so I think the unique brand of racism that we face here in our country is unique to our culture and our history. Um, and when I try to put biblical rails on this whole conversation and think about the ways that it derails so quickly, which conversations on race often do in the broader culture and even in the church, you know, we're talking about our sins and our sorrows, uh, the, 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 the moral evil that we've committed and, and, the, and the, the moral evil committed against us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are two big issues, this idea of sins and sorrows. And the biblical framework runs cross-grain to pop psychology, and sort of popular ideas of ethics. Mm -hmm. The biblical framework steers the ship between all the rocks when it says, the things that have happened to you are very significant and yet you're still responsible for your actions. Yeah. So so that, that avoids a multitude of pitfalls and evils and keeps you out of a lot of ditches. So when people engage this conversation about race, you know, um, reparations was the cover story on The Atlantic several months ago, you know, mm-hmm. a really well-written article arguing about whether or not reparations is a legitimate idea. So people are still wrestling with, black history in America, you know, the sins done against African Americans that's really not that long ago and still reaches into today. How should we view that? How significant is it? And then you get these these really calloused responses. People are bunkered and they're sort of throwing, you know, retorts at each other over the wall. So it's, you know, suck it up. Bill Cosby's going, suck it up and just Take responsibility, and people are going. Oh, that's nice for you to say with your Ivy League education, you know. And then you have other people going. We deserve to be paid back for what's happened to us, and it degenerates really quickly. It's not really a conversation anymore. And I think the biblical framework is very informative because it yeah. says the things that have happened to you are very significant, yeah. and there, and you still have moral responsibility for your actions. And so you see people always trying to diminish one of those two. Yeah. The things that have happened to you are not very significant. You just need to move on. That's ancient history, and it's like, no, it's not. There are people alive today whose parents were hung from trees. You know, and then there's another sense in which people are saying, I'm not responsible for what I do, you know, it's your fault. And the biblical framework comes back to them and says, No, no, you, you do you can't take responsibility for your actions. Yeah, even in the good. midst of significant suffering, even in the midst of a very horrific history mm. of of racial abuse that's really not that long ago. So I think sometimes I want to lean into the people who like to think of that as ancient history, because I see that a lot in white evangelicalism, where people are going, why are we still talking about this? And I think we're a little bit tone deaf. That wasn't that long ago. And its effects socioeconomically and culturally, when you look at the urban core in America, that's not a coincidence that the urban core in America is black. And it relates to choices we've made historically as a country. So it's not going away, and we need to reckon with it.
0: No, I totally agree, too. And I I feel like for for me, this has been uh, a pretty new thing in understanding that it wasn't that long ago. And also understand we have one of our elders at Frontline is black. And he said, he said, I was shocked. He said, I can remember where I was the day that I finally realized not everyone grew up being afraid of the police. And he wasn't trying to you know he, he wasn't being ignorant or anything. He said it just it surprised me when I realized not everybody that I know was afraid of the police growing up. you know and and just to realize like that is a reality uh, from my friend's perspective and then and then to see too, like you know, we were just talking beforehand about someone who uh, is is interviewing for a job at a church. And even myself, if I think of hiring somebody at Frontline, I just start thinking, who are the people I know? And who are the people that might be good at this job? And if I am not personally spending a lot of time with people who are of a different race than I am, then they just don't even cross my mind, and I don't even think about that person. And then the challenge is that they don't have those same opportunities, because I'm not doing life with them, and so when I think of hiring someone for an internship or hiring someone for a job, I, I don't think of that, and that is a systemic thing, because we could say, well, I'm not racist, but if I, I think I think this is what has challenged me the most as it relates to church is... I think every, almost every church in America, hopefully, if you ask, I know this is not true for every church, but every church should want to be racially diversified. If you don't, you don't understand how so God has made human that to beings. Tim. Yeah. I know
1: because there are people out there listening are saying, why? Uh, why, why is it, why shouldn't we uh, gather uh, with, quote unquote, our own kind? Um, I'm not advocating yeah. that, but I'm i I'm gonna push back. Yeah. Give an explanation for why. What's the rationale in the Christian faith that says we ought to be racially uh, diverse? My, my
0: quickest would be Jesus prayed that it would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's my quickest is that I think the the, the bride of Christ is a a just a brief picture of the kingdom of God. And and in order if, if you have Basically, you are going to—heaven will be a shock when you are surrounded by people that are racially different. Now, there are other things, but because people are made in the image of God, uh, we should, as a church— lead the way, that people would see all the one-anothers in Scripture, uh, that that churches should be diversified. Now, th- yes, there are, like, where the church shootings were, that was a predominantly black church, but they invited this young man in there. They were not a segregated church, they were predominantly a black church, but they were seeking racial diversity, and they were okay with racial diversity. Well, but, aren't you but saying there's... diversity in general, not just r- racial diversity? Yeah, yeah, I would say in general that, that the kingdom of God is very... Very diverse, and we should
2: we should act the way that God is building His well, kingdom. Let me let me, let me do the pushback as well. Sorry, yeah. um, can we expect every church to be diversified in every way? Like no, there may yeah. be personality differences and and preferences that yeah. will will keep the church segregated, if you want to put it that way on Sunday morning, and what if there are cultural differences within different communities and types of people, whether yeah. say in black or or white or uh, just a- any type of cultural culturally embedded Type people that do things differently and have grown up differently and have different preferences. Now, yeah. Because we got a guy here at work that is, he talks about it all being preferences and you being grown. I said, I said to him one time, I used to wait tables. I said, Why do black people always order catfish? And he cracked up. I mean, he was just laughing, saying, that is a cultural thing. I said, is that why they well, order Well, it's, it's a terrible stereotype, but, too. Yeah. Why what?
3: do white people keep wearing loafers with no socks well, and khaki shorts in the summer? that here in Oklahoma
2: <laughs> yeah. that everybody orders catfish, and it's not because they have a taste preference difference. It's because a cultural preference I'll tell difference. you what, Michael. I'm, I'm going to stick my foot in this one. Um, I think that the
1: majority of professing Christians who would use the kind of defense you've just articulated, and I know you're just setting it out there, it's not necessarily your personal opinion, but that in order to, to kind of justify or find a rationale for segregation in the church, even though they never use that word, well, it's just a, it's a matter of our cultural differences and they're more comfortable with them and we're more comfortable with people like us. That's just a veil to cover a racist mentality, which basically says, I really don't value you as much as I value people who look like me. And I really am suspicious about your integrity because your skin color is different from mine. And I'm really concerned that you might end up buying a house in my neighborhood and driving down the value of my property. And I'm really suspicious about whether you're honest and whether uh, uh, our women folk can be trusted in your presence. That's the venomous, sinful mindset of countless individuals who then want to somehow justify um, or, or or they want to use euphemistic language or cultural distinctives as a way of 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 hiding to to, to cover over what really is going on in the human heart yeah. and you know I I just have to keep coming back to revelation 5 I know we we talk about this passage in in this context a lot but When Christ is being extolled and praised in the heavens and it says you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And then I love this, you made them a kingdom, not you made those a white kingdom and they're white Christians, you made Hispanic Christians and you made African uh, uh, black Christians, you made all of them together one unified kingdom, all of whom are equal Priests to God, and they together will reign on the earth. Yeah. That's the the driving force that we have to bring to bear on this subject in the local church. And again, I just I've just been around long enough that, and I'm suspicious enough of of human depravity that when I hear excuses made for why diversity won't work, I fear that it's a cover for a, a, a deep seated uh, distrust and disdain and A fundamental sense of you're just not where I am. You're not my equal. Why don't you go be with your own? Well, and it, you... it
0: makes people build their kingdom and not God's kingdom. You know, it's it, what they're doing is is we have to realize that the church in America, a, a huge a default for us if we don't fight against it is individualism, that it's all about me, you know, like, man, I didn't like the coffee they served. Let's find a different church. Or the music was just slightly too loud. Let's find a different church. Well, and... well let's,
2: let's do it this way. Whenever I go to certain black churches, mm-hmm. they'll have a certain cult culture to them and what style of preaching and style of worship. Now, I've grown up differently. I haven't grown up in that environment. And so whenever I go into that environment, I say, you know, this is cool. And it shows the diversity of the body of Christ. And I'm glad they love Christ, but this is not my style. And so I don't I don't integrate into their diversity. I go and find something that is more like mine, whether black or white. But normally it will be more of a white type culture because that's what I've grown up in. I, cons- I, I think
3: you could argue when the church is at its best. It looks more like fusion cooking, you know. In other words, people are esteeming each other highly in love. They're putting each other's preferences above their own, and when you do that, then you get a tapestry, then you get diversity, then you get multiculturalism, because the church is by definition multicultural, as mm-hmm. Sam just read. So not everybody's able to to achieve this with equal success, but it's something we should aspire towards. And when you talk about talk to pastors and parishioners and churches that have achieved some measure of this, they'll talk a lot about the blood, sweat, and tears that are involved. There's self-sacrifice, There's death to my comfort and preference. And out of it comes a deeper joy, but it doesn't come easily. And so in this way, it's very, very hard. There's nothing trite or frivolous about anyone who's pulled it off. They had to willingly make themselves uncomfortable in order to achieve a greater good. And so in that sense, the church has to function as a counterculture. That is how the broader culture works. Socioeconomic and ethnic divisions uh, will rule the day in America, but the church is expected
2: to look countercultural and swim upstream. Well, whenever you guys got hired onto your church, churches. Um, I imagine whenever you did it it was it was fairly easy because it fit within your cultural norms. But if you would have been hired by a black church or somebody would have ap- approached you from a deep cultural black church, you probably would not have immediately said, "Hey, this is great, this is the body of Christ, this is the diversity. You would have felt a little bit more uneasy about going into such such a situation. Let me take what you're saying. About- Let
3: me take what you're saying and deepen it. You're right. On the surface, uneasy, knee-jerk reactions, unfamiliarity, difficulty. That's right. And and to take that deeper, it's called counting the cost. To achieve multiculturalism in the church, you're going to have to count the cost. It doesn't happen by accident, and it's going to come at great personal sacrifice and inconvenience. But the people who've done it, when you talk to them, they're going to say it was worth it.
2: Yeah, and I, but and you I,
0: don't find many who've done it because it's always better or easier to take the easy path. And, but that's gotten us to where we are today. And so I'd say, is that working? Does it, is this working for us, or should we be more intentional? And well, what I would say, that's why we're having this podcast. Yeah, and what I would say that this struck me when I heard it is that. The church on Sunday morning will not be racially diverse unless we are racially diverse on Saturday night. So if you just like hey, let me invite a bunch of black people to church on Sunday instead of saying like, hey, I need to invite my neighbors over to dinner and get to know them and find out about their story, become friends with them if the church is not being diverse on Saturday night, it's not going to be diverse Sunday morning and if it is, it's not going to be truly diverse And that's
3: why Sam's comments were so helpful because racial divisions unfortunately in America tend to run along socioeconomic lines yeah. and so it triggers all sorts of American fears about you know who I get with what neighborhoods I live in, how I spend my time, what I do with my money, what safety means to me, what my status is, you know, and, and those kinds of things. And so you're right, if you're gonna actually make your life multicultural and multi-ethnic and multi-socio-cultural, that's gonna require sacrifice. That's gonna require you to swim upstream and maybe vacation differently, spend your money differently take your kids to do different things. You're going to have to live differently if you're going to live a truly
0: multicultural life. But we're following the most sacrificial human being that's ever lived on the face of the earth, that's being right. Jesus. And so it should not surprise us that following him requires sacrifice. And
3: I want to make a plug for some books. I think people should read John Piper's book, Bloodlines. I think it's very well-written and thought-provoking. I think, and he basically says, I was a racist. You know, he, he talks about his experience growing up and how God in renewed In South him. Carolina. That's Interesting. right. Interesting yeah, what, what it's like to grow up in the South. And then another book that I think... More people need to read is called "Divided by Faith" by two famous Christian sociologists, one of whom is Christian Smith. I can't think of the other author's name. Um, that's a very that famous good book. Then. There you <laughs> go. That's my memory problem having two one-year-olds. But that's only 140 <laughs> pages, and they've done a lot of really good research into the questions you were asking, Michael, and and sort of taking the the pulse of American Christians. Why are we still divided by faith? I think that's a very good starting point for people to read
2: those two books. How intentional do you have to be, Sam? Uh, with regard to making this happen, I mean, is it just going to happen? No, it's not just going to happen. You
1: have to, you have to be strategic. You have to, you have to uh, prioritize this as something of, of preeminent value, and say we have to be willing to be uncomfortable, to sacrifice, to go contrary to what maybe our instinctive uh, inclination would be. Um, it is, like I said, uh, short of a genuine heaven sent spirit. Prompted revival, uh, it's only going to get worse. Um, Christian men and women, even short of a genuine revival, have to make up their minds individually and collectively. Churches, elder boards, pastoral teams have to say, this is of such preeminent value. It is so important to the heart of God that we're willing to make whatever personal, financial, cultural, social uh, sacrifices need to be made to reflect in our in the life of the body of Christ, as Tim said earlier, what we know is reflected in heaven. <clears throat> Good stuff. You ever? Have you heard Leon?